0: Well, I'm going to do things a little bit different again today, as I do every so often. and I know that shocks many of you, but I'm going to break away from the series of Romans just for one week to kind of share something else that's been on my heart. Um, as I said earlier, over the last several months, there's been numerous churches, pastors, frustrations going on whereby the church is just struggling. Um, I believe that the church should stand victorious, Amen. If God is at the helm, and the Holy Spirit is guiding, we should be able to go forward. But so often, the flesh gets in the way of the Spirit, and things begin to break down. I've said for years, as I've been a pastor now for over 20 years, when a church hires a pastor, it's like getting married, but you didn't get any dating before the marriage ceremony. It's the it's the marriage ceremony without the dating relationship. And for many years, the national average in almost every denomination in church out there, the average stay of the pastor was 18 to 36 months. And it's usually, as I said before, it's like the first year the church is trying to figure out the pastor, the second year the pastor is trying to figure out the church, and the third year they're trying to figure out whether or not they want to continue to work, or work with each other. And The reality of it is that many churches don't have a longevity in the pastorate because they just can't seem to work together because the Holy Spirit is not leading. I've noticed in this area in the last several years that there's just been a lot of struggles with churches. I've watched churches close. I've watched churches start and close again. I've watched churches hire somebody from down south. And because there's a different culture and a different atmosphere and a different way of doing things, they don't last and they end up going back south for whatever reason and the church ends up struggling and it never seems to pick up momentum and never starts going forward. I can tell you for a certainty that the things that I did in Indianapolis to build a church quite substantially don't work here in New York. There's a different people, a different culture, a different way of doing things. But the reality is, things are just different. And so, because of what I've noticed in the last several weeks and the last couple months, I just felt like God was burdening my heart to encourage our church to pray for every other church and pastor around us. Churches need God to be at work. They need God. It shouldn't be that we just want God to work. We need God to work. There ought to be a sense of urgency and reliance upon the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. You understand what I'm saying? It's not that we just want God to be here. We need God to be here. And we ought to have a sense of urgency about that. So this morning I want to just, I want to make some statements. I'm going to tell you a reality of how I feel as a pastor and how I know my other pastor friends feel. I'm going to kind of share a couple stories and then we're going to get in God's word. Let me just say one other thing. I'm part of a Facebook page that is for pastors. In fact, I'm part of two different ones. If you're not a pastor, you really can't get into it, but it's just a place where pastors can share their hearts and talk about things and struggles in their churches and so forth. But I've noticed just in the last three or four weeks, there have been pastor after pastor after pastor fired. I thought, wow, someone reasonably deserving of it, because pastors are by no means perfect people, as you can allow to say, Amen. But oftentimes it's because people are just selfish and they want what they want, regardless of who it affects and how it affects people. In the last week alone, there have been three high-profile pastors of large churches get ousted from their ministry, and rightfully so, by the way. One of them got arrested for child pornography. Well-known author, right? Well-known pastor. Large church in the West. But got nailed for child pornography. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Happens every day. Another one for embezzlement. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Pastors. Come on. Over and over struggles that churches are facing. Either because of the sinfulness of the pastor. Or the sinfulness of the church. Or the sinfulness of both of them working together. Living in the flesh rather than operating with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me just share a few things. Number one, pastors want God's blessing on God's church. I want God's blessing here. Amen? Amen. I want God to legitimately, realistically, honestly bless this church. I know that there are churches that are much, much bigger than us. They have much, much more to offer. They have all the bells and whistles, so to speak. We can't compare them, and I'm okay with that. I've come to the conclusion that I cannot, realistically speaking, ministerially speaking, keep up with the Joneses. I, I can't do it. And because of that, there'll be people who come in and say, well, do you have this ministry or that ministry? And I say, I'm sorry, we don't have that. All right, thank you, though. Good, good to meet you. I understand it. It's frustrating. But the reality is, I can't keep up, ministerially speaking, with the Joneses. But I do want God's blessing on this church. I don't want sin to reign. I don't want. I don't want there to be an undercurrent of selfishness in our church. That's why we deal with sin as we have, as it's made known to us, because we want God's blessing. I said many years ago when I came here over ten years ago. I said I want this to grow like an oak tree. Oak trees grow really slow, but they grow strong because they grow deep. Bushes grow out of control. Bushes. You can plant bushes and they'll be up taller than you can imagine in no time. That's just what they are, out-of-control bushes. Just have a concert every week for the entire summer. You'll gather a crowd. And let me just say this, what it takes to gather them is what it takes to keep them. And as soon as you stop those things, they'll stop coming. I know a ton of pastors who spend ten to $15,000 a year, every year, to do a vacation Bible school. And they'll rightfully tell you, we don't gain anybody from it, but we have fun. Why? Because when the fun's over, they leave. go to the next fun place. Do the next fun thing. Whatever it takes to reach people is what it's going to take to keep people. But the reality is you can't keep up with everybody. And I'm not going to try to keep up with everybody. But what we do, I want God's blessing on it. I want to please Him and Him alone. Number two, pastors will sacrifice and almost stop at nothing to help the church. I know so many pastors that will give their right leg to see the church move forward. Because that's the nature. We want to see God do something. I've used this illustration many times in the, in the past. When you know somebody that's won the lottery, you say, wow, that's pretty cool. Look at that new house. Look at that new car. I'm telling you what, despite what they may get, what they may, how it may affect them, bottom line is it isn't going to be the same as if it happened to you. it would be your new house, your new car, your bank account. I want that in the sense of the Holy Spirit in our church. I don't care what God's doing. I'm encouraged by what God's doing in other churches and other ministries. But it cannot compare and I cannot explain the difference. But I want God to do that here. I want God to do it in my circle. Don't you want that? Pastors want that. They want to see God do something here. It's not about the size of the church. It's about the impact on lives. Who are we impacting as a body of believers in our community, in our our neighborhoods, in our families, in our relatives, in our sphere of influence? Who are we impacting because God is working at our church? I think there's a lot of pastors who will sacrifice at nothing to see that go forward. We want that. Number three, pastors overextend themselves constantly, even to a fault. Many of us have a hard time saying no because we want to please everybody. You know, in the last 10 years, I've had three different people give me a book on learning how to say no. One of them was titled The Art of Saying No. The other one was The, the Power of a Positive No. I can't remember what the third one was, but three different times people have given me books on how to say no. You know what I do with those books? Throw them on the shelf. Thanks. Why? Because it's in our nature to just to do what we can for people. I think it's in the nature of most pastors who are called, not necessarily a career choice, but those who are called, they want to serve their people. And they'll almost stop at nothing to say yes to them. Pastors are expected to take care of the church. You know, you hired me to preach and teach and to marry and bury and do counseling and whatever else. But there's also a little of the expectation that he's going to make sure things get done. Let's be honest. And it's amazing how many of those little, little things need to get done by somebody. And if somebody doesn't do it, we just kind of just say, well, we've got to try to get it done. That's the reality. Pastors do that. Here's one they may not have thought of. Pastors are expected to preach a reasonable sermon every week, despite difficult weeks and heart wrenching challenges. Do you know that Sunday comes every week? I'm not kidding you. Sunday comes every week. Sermon every Sunday, whether you're ready or not. It's going to be here. There's nothing you can do to put off Sunday for another day. It's Saturday. Sunday's coming. You better be ready. And let me just tell you, I've stayed up till 7 in the morning taking a shower and coming over here on occasion because I don't want to not be prepared. And most of my pastor friends have done the same. It's because we want to give you what God's laid on our heart to give you. But things happen during the week that steal our time. So-and-so needed help. So-and-so needed counseling. So-and-so needed this. And it's the joy of our life to do that. Even when it interrupts with family and other responsibilities and obligations, we still try to get it all in. And if the sermon starts Friday and we spend 15 hours and we finish it Saturday at 4 in the morning, that's okay. That's the heart of a pastor who's called of God. They want to be prepared. But Sunday comes every week. You know, last night I slept terribly. That stupid center was doing its job. It was doing what it, exactly what it was supposed to do. Sugar starts dropping and it makes a noise and wakes you up so you can deal with it. But man, I'm tired. Those of you who are you may you may be experiencing the same thing for various different reasons. But when there's a Sunday morning comes and you're just tired, well guess what? You're not sleeping in. Because that's what pastors do. Pastors are often called upon to resolve conflicts and help build bridges between people who are frustrated with each other and they try to be friends with both people at the same time without giving into what they think because it make them mad or giving in what they think because it will make them mad. That's a hard line to toe sometimes. <laughs> because there's nuances of what they're saying is true and nuances of what they're saying is wrong and nuances of what they're saying is true and nuances of what they're saying is wrong but yet we're trying to build a bridge so that we can get along and resolve the conflict biblically and still remain friends at the same time. That's a hard line to toe sometimes. Because everybody's got an opinion. And nobody's going to relinquish their opinion. Pastors are expected to answer every email, text, and phone call. Immediately. Here's what happens. This is humorous and I love it. It's funny. I'm in a meeting with somebody. Discussing a problem. A situation. Something that's come up. And you're trying to, just for a second, set it aside, not concentrate on it. And also bzz. Bzz. Third time. Are you getting my text? Of course I am, but I cannot respond at the moment. And then if you don't respond to that third text that's asking you if you're getting the text, ring ring What am I supposed to do? It's hilarious, but it's the truth. But you're expected to answer everything. What did we do before cell phones? I mean, Lord forbid you'll actually leave a message and I'll get back to you. I love it. But the reality is, there's unrealistic expectations sometimes. Now let me tell you a couple of negative things, too. Pastors struggle to keep the main thing the main thing. You know why? Because we're not perfect. We fail. We fail. And if I haven't failed you yet, it's because you haven't known me long enough. That's just the truth. I remember my first church where I was being asked to consider a senior pastor position. The public committee is sitting around in a circle and they said, Pastor Ken, tell us some of your flaws. (laughs) That's a loaded question. They said, if you make me mad, I'm going to deck you. And one of them I said, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to deck you. But I want you to know I'm not perfect. I'm going to fail you one time or another. I promise you I will. Why? Because I'm human and I'm sinful and there are days I operate in the flesh as though I don't want to. I am human. Pastors aren't perfect, as you well know. And here's the other thing I said to that public committee. If you cut me, I bleed red just like you. Pastors bleed. They get hurt too. It's amazing how many times, and I, I thankfully, it hasn't happened here, thankfully. But we're times where pastors say something that's totally misconstrued, totally twisted, totally, no, I didn't come say anything even remotely close to that. But they heard what he didn't say. And it's just all of a sudden World War III. I'm glad that hasn't happened to me here. I'm so grateful for that. We do have a unity and a peace. But I say all that to say this. We need to pray for our pastor. And for all the pastors we know. We need prayer. I covet your prayers. I want you to pray for me. So let me give you several areas to pray for. Number one. We're going to get in God's word here. Number one. For spiritual strength and protection. That's the first thing I need you to pray for me for. And every pastor I know for spiritual strength and protection. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let me just tell you there's not a day where the devil takes a vacation, where demons do not take a vacation. They are doing everything they can to destroy the church of God. Now, I'm thankful that God is greater, but I'm telling you, every good thing that God does, Satan does not want it to go unchallenged. Satan is out and about trying to destroy. That's why pastors are giving into child pornography. That's why pastors are giving in, getting into affairs. That's why pastors are embezzling money from their church. It's a reality that in the flesh they'll do things that they would never do if they were obeying God and walking in the Spirit. Why? Because the devil is roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour, and we need spiritual strength and protection. Number two, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Satan's minions are out and about trying to destroy the work of God. Don't think. Look around. Churches are closing their doors everywhere around us for a host of reasons sometimes the sinfulness of the preacher, sometimes the sinfulness of the people, but for whatever reason they're living in the flesh and not operating in the spirit, being controlled by the spirit, and therefore the devil is at work, doing everything he can to destroy the work of Jesus Christ. Pastors need your prayer for strength and protection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says, "Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves." That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does not, does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. He says, I am thankful for those who are praying for us. We need your strength. We need God's protection. We need God's people to be praying. And I challenge you to do that, to be praying daily for spiritual strength and protection. I was thinking about this last night. Here's the reality. There are a lot of people who are in key leadership positions who fail every day. Why? Because they're living in the flesh, not in the spirit. And when I think about this, I think about uh, Moses in Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. What was Moses supposed to do to the rock? Speak to it. What did he do? he struck it. Why do you suppose that he struck it rather than speaking to it? Operating in the flesh. I'm going to do it my way. I know God said to do it this way, but I'm going to do it my way. And I'm telling you that anytime we as leaders and people of God decide to do it our own way rather than God's way, there is going to be problems. Period. 2nd Samuel chapter 11. Why do you think David looked over and saw Bathsheba and desired to have her and took her as his own? Well, he's operating how? In the flesh. Anytime we operate in the flesh, there are going to be problems. That could have been 100% avoided if he had just been controlled by the Holy Spirit, but he chose to operate in the flesh. And when we choose to operate in the flesh, there are going to be struggles, there are going to be problems, there are going to be failures. I think of Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. When I think of Peter, why do you think he came to the place where he denied Jesus? Because he was worried about what everyone was thinking while operating in the flesh. Because anytime you operate in the flesh, there's going to be problems. When we walk in the Spirit, I mean, controlled by the Spirit, then we can walk in victory. But as long as we operate in the flesh, there are going to be struggles, there are going to be problems, and God's work will not go forward. In all these circumstances, and there's a million other ones, people were are operating in the flesh, rather than being controlled by the Spirit. And that's why we need God's protection. We need spiritual strength to overcome, because the devil is alive and well and working hard at destroying God's work and God's man. Why did these circumstances take place over and over Because there is a choice. Remember. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says. They that mind the things of the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. They that mind the things of the Spirit. Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does that tell us? If I were to set this right here. It means that I made a choice. To pick this up. And to set it right there. And according to Romans chapter 8. It says. They that mind the things of the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. That means it is a choice. To live and operate. And to work in the flesh. Versus working and living and operating in the Spirit. It's a daily choice. And every day we have an opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to operate in the flesh or be led by the Holy Spirit. It is a daily choice. And apart from that, we will fail. I remember something that one of my professors said in Bible college, Dr. McLaughlin. He made this statement and I wrote it in a piece of paper and stuck it in my Bible. I've carried it with me for years. And it's simply this statement. The greatest of saints can commit the greatest of sins in a moment of weakness or selfishness. The greatest of saints can commit the greatest of sins in a moment of weakness or selfishness. And what I've learned over the years is that the men of God that I respect the most, men that I thought, wow, I want to be like that person. I want to love God like they love God. I want to serve God like they serve God. I want to know God like they know God. I have found that almost every one of those people, without exception, have had great failures in their life. The greatest of saints can commit the greatest of sins in a moment of weakness or in a moment of selfishness. All it takes is you to take your eyes off Jesus for a moment. Talk to Peter about it. He was okay as long as he was walking on the water looking right at Jesus, but as soon as he put his eyes on the waves, boom, start to sink. How long did that take? A moment. It only takes a moment to respond in the flesh or to respond in the spirit. It only takes a moment to say, I'm going to continue looking at that or I'm going to shut it off. It only takes a moment to say, I'm not going to listen to that or to say, hey, I want to hear more. It only takes a moment to say, hey. And in that moment, operating in the flesh, you can give in to anything. I don't care how strong a saint you think you are, how strong a Christian you know you think you are, it only takes a moment to give into the flesh. And that moment can have repercussions that last a, a lifetime. How many men have had an affair? How many women have had an affair they regret? They wish they'd never done it? And life is all but changed forever. I'm sure there's many alcoholics who say, I wish I hadn't had that first drink. Many a drug addicts who wish I wouldn't have had that first bit of drugs. Many of Gambling addicts who said, I wish I'd have never bet. But that moment, that short moment, has altered the course of their life because they're living in the flesh rather than being controlled by the Spirit. Pastors need spiritual strength and protection. We covet those prayers. And they pray that for their people too. Number two, for open doors to spread the gospel. That's the second thing. Pray for open doors to spread the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ for your time also in chains. Paul said, I am asking you to pray that God would open up a door of opportunity to share the mystery of the gospel. Here's what I know in my own life and in the life of many of my pastor friends. I led more people to the Lord while I was not a pastor than while I was a pastor or am a pastor. Why? Because in the world of churchiology, your time is just filled with people who are constantly wanting. And I love it. I, I enjoy spending every minute I can with everybody I can. But every minute that I'm inside these walls, I'm not outside. And all of a sudden, you come to the point where, if we're not careful, everybody we're surrounded with is already saved. And we have to work at getting outside. And so I would challenge you to pray for me, that God would open up doors of opportunity for me to share the gospel. I don't want to sit up here and say, you need to be doing this, and not be able to say, I'm not doing it. I want to lead by example. Amen? I'm asking you to pray for that, as he was saying. Meanwhile, praying also for us. That God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ. For in which I also am changed. He's saying, I'm a prisoner to the gospel. Number three. For boldness to preach the whole counsel of God. Let me give you a couple verses to chew on. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19 says, And for me that utterance may be given... To me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you realize that there are preachers who will not preach the gospel? Sadly the saying, just turn the TV on most given a week. You'll find somebody who are preaching, give more, give more, give more, prosperity theology. Seven steps to this, four four characteristics of that. All self-help, self-esteem. Your steps to a better life. And they refuse to call up sin. Refuse to let the Holy Spirit use the message and the word to convict. Shoot. There's churches in our area that have an hour of worship and a ten minute devotional at the end. Makes people feel good. They were at church. They got a little bit of something to take home with them. Lopsided and upside down. Pray that I may have boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. You know, we can't pick and choose the topics that we preach on. I mean, if that were the case, I'd never preach on sin because that makes people feel bad. I mean, if that were the case, I wouldn't just... I know preachers who will counsel with somebody on Thursday and on Sunday, their message is, yep, just exactly what they counseled somebody on and everybody in the entire church knows who they spoke to. That's unfortunate. That's wrong. God willing, I've never counseled with somebody on a Thursday and preached on, on Sunday and everybody knew who I was talking about. That'd be wrong. Shame on me if I did that. But pastors do it. They avoid certain Themes because it hurts people's feelings. Here's the last thing a pastor wants to do. I've got a homosexual couple sitting right over here. And I'm going to preach on Romans 1 because I know they're sitting there. How wrong would that be for me? Because I know your sin, because we've talked about it, and for me to deal with it just because I know you're going to be here, I'm going to hammer it home. I don't pick and choose. I've had people say, Pastor, you preach on that because you know my circumstance. And I said, no, let me show you something. This is what I wrote down four weeks ago that was coming down the line. I didn't plan this because you were here. I didn't plan this because I knew you were sitting there. I planned it because God gave me this to preach on four weeks ago and it happens to be the next thing in line. But That's how the Holy Spirit works. To deal with situations that come up even though we don't pick and choose that. There are some passages that are particularly hard to preach. Both exegetically because they're just difficult passages. But there are also passages that are hard to preach emotion because you know it's going to affect somebody sitting in front of you. The last thing I know any pastor that's worth his salt is going to do is to purposely preach a message that's going to take that person off. But it happens. And I would say it's because of the Holy Spirit convicting them, not because the pastor preach that because they're sitting there. But here's what I want. I want to preach the whole counsel of God. Every bit of it, cover to cover. Why? Because it's God's word. And every bit of it, every bit of it, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is profitable. Every bit of it has something that we can learn from. Amen? Amen. There are people who will not preach the Old Testament, period. They will not open it. They will not teach it. They will not preach it. We're under the New Testament, and we don't need that. Shame on them. There's things that we can learn all throughout the Old Testament. And if you can't see the Gospel in the Old Testament, you're not looking very clearly. If you can't see faith in the Old Testament, you're not looking very clearly. There there is a message in the Old Testament that is great for us today, if we'll just look at it. Acts twenty verse twenty seven. May this be my prayer of commitment. May I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Number four, for spiritual wisdom and discernment. Very familiar verse. Proverbs three verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Trust the Lord. Wow, that's it. Once again, I've laid out the next three or four weeks of messages. This is where I'm going. This is what I believe God has had me to do. And you wake up Saturday afternoon, or you're sitting there Saturday afternoon going over your nose, and God says, don't preach that. Oh, uh, we're not going there. Not doing that. But you know I spent 10 to 15 hours on this, Lord. Uh, yep, I ain't got time to spend another 10, 15 hours on it. Uh, no, I think I'll go with what I got prepared. And God said, no, do it. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I have found over the years that in those few moments, and I can count on one hand where it's happened, where I woke up on a Sunday morning and God says, do not preach that message. I want you to speak on this. I can count on one hand in the last 15 years where that has happened, it scares the living snot out of me. Because I like to have notes in front of me. Anybody else want to speak with no notes? Yeah, I like notes, too. But the reality is, church is starting in an hour and a half, and I ain't got a message. Lord, are you sure about this? Because the other one's done and ready to go. And Lord, I, I mean, you, you led me to put this message together, and you want me not to preach it now? What, what are you talking about? I know what, you know what you're doing, but can you kind of let me in on it? Because I, I need some direction here. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I have found in those few instances where that has happened, God has used it mightily. In ways, and if someone will come to me and say, Pastor, God just really spoke to me about this, and I just want to thank you for preaching that message, and I'm thinking in my mind, I didn't even touch on that subject. I never even mentioned that. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit working. And it came as a result of obeying the Holy Spirit, not doing what I wanted. As a, as a result of trusting Him. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pray for spiritual wisdom and discernment. God says, if you need wisdom, pray. I ask that you would pray that God give me wisdom. And every pastor, you know wisdom. Because we need it desperately. 2 Chronicles 1.10 Now give me wisdom and knowledge. Every leadership, every leader should be praying this. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people who can judge this great people of yours. God, he goes, I can't do this apart from your giving me wisdom to do this. I cannot do this. And can I just draw a little application that may bother some of you? I don't know of another pastor who's had a pastor during a stupid pandemic. I'm telling you, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of masks. And let me tell you, it's not for the reason you probably think I'm mad at it. It's divisive. It has caused problems. It has caused discord. It has caused disunity. Because everybody has an opinion and they all think they're right. They all think they're following the science. They all think that their position is the correct one. Mark Lowry said, I may not be right, but I ain't never in doubt. I have an opinion. I'm holding to it. I don't care if you agree with it. It's mine. And trust me, in our church circles, we have people who are adamantly, and they say this to me, if you don't make everyone wear a mask, I'm not coming to church. I can't win with that. I cannot win as a pastor in forcing everybody who walks through this door to wear a mask and if you don't do it, you're not allowed to not admit it. I cannot force that. And then I have people on the other side, if you make us wear a mask, I'll never come into that church. See, what people say that, yep, yeah, all the time. I got people who are adamant on both sides. You know what the mask has done? It has caused division and disunity and discord. I'm tired of it. I don't care whether you think they're effective or whether you don't think they're effective. I really don't care. It should not be a point of division within us. It should not. I'm not, Well, wow, it's quiet in here. Amen? You think the mass should cause division? It should not. I've got an opinion about them too, just like you do. My wife will hate me for saying this. I'm going to say it. If I can smell your fart, they ain't working. I'm just telling you, if it's a virus that is that strong... But here's what I do know. If it bothers you, I'll wear one. I have no problem. I don't. I don't. Because I love you enough to say, hey, I'm concerned about the things you're concerned about. But I'm not going to lose my ever-loving mind over it. It's not worth it. It should not cause division in the church. Amen? Amen? (sighs) We need wisdom i got people on every side of this who are angry and upset over it. And it has, uh, let me just tell you another one. Social distancing? I hate it. It throws in the face of everything that we are ever gr- grow, grown up to believe that we need to love on each other and, and hug each other and, 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 and yet it has caused division. But I understand the reality of it. I do. I get it. Here's another one. In the last year, we've had almost zilch, zero, not a, outreach and fellowship. Oh, that irritates me. Does that bother you? It's hard for me to, as a pastor, get up and say, hey, we got some open chairs. Let's fill them next week. Let's fill them. Let's max this place out. And you know what happens as soon as I say that? pastor just doesn't care that there's a pandemic going on. I do care. But I care about lost souls, too. I care about people lost and going to hell and dying and going to hell for all eternity. I care about us not getting together, encouraging one another, having inreach and outreach. I care about those things too. But if I say everyone invites somebody next week, I'm, a guy, I'm, I'm the guy that just doesn't care about the world pandemic going on. And every pastor has to struggle with this. I'm telling you, it's not easy. Because we don't want to purposely upset people. That's the last thing I. It's the last thing that any pastor I know that has called God to preach and a pastor wants is to cause division in his church. But it's divisive. And it's a reality of the world we live in. So we've had to figure out new ways of doing things. New ways of reaching people. And guess what? That's not a bad thing. New ministries have been developed using masks. New ministries have been developed using social media that people didn't use before. I'm thankful that we've been online for eight years. We didn't have to go through a learning curve to do this. We've we tweaked some things. We've made the music sound a little bit better online. But for the most part, we've been doing this for eight or nine years now. You can go on YouTube and find ten years of sermons on there from us. This wasn't something new for us. But for many churches and for many pastors, all of a sudden they had to learn technology that they never knew before pastors are frustrated, discouraged, overwhelmed, and they just feel like quitting. Because I can't just go to church now. i got to go to church. I have to make sure all the online stuff is working, and nobody else in the church knows how to do it, so I've been forced to do it. i got people who aren't coming, and, they, and they're and wanting to hear what's going on and see what's going on at church. It's a different world. We need spiritual wisdom and discernment. And then not only pray for the pastor and for every pastor you know, you need to be praying for your church. Let me give you six things to pray for. Number one, for a teachable spirit. In Ephesians chapter four, I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. You, you've heard, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because you've heard me preach on it before. But Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, He says that he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists some pastors and teachers why? for the equipping of the saints that's you who know Jesus Christ to do the work of the ministry do you know that you did not hire me to do everything for you? you hired me to teach you to do it here's the question are you teachable? oh pastor somebody else would do that are you teachable? Well, that's not my gift. I understand, but are you teachable? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to be equipped to do the work that God has called each and every one of us to? He say, was well, that really important? Yes, because faith without works is dead, and Ephesians 2:10 says, "You're his workmanship created in the, under good works in Christ Jesus that you' walk in them. Yes, the work is important. And that's why he gave pastors and teachers and so forth to equip the saints to do the work. Are you teachable? Are you willing to learn so that you can be used of God? We need to pray that God's church is teachable. We could go on. but There's another point in verse 15 or 16 talks about until we all come into the unity of the faith. That means we've got to keep growing. Keep growing. Be, be students of God's word. Number two, we need to pray for the church that truth would be received. I love Acts seventeen eleven. It is great. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. Here's two things in this verse. Number one, they received the word. You see, is that a big deal? Yeah, it is. It's huge. Because oftentimes we sit in our pew and we're like, eh, that's good, that's so, that, that, so interesting should be listening to this one today. Are you willing to receive the word? You know, how many of you saw my little Facebook thing this morning? I said, "X 17, are you coming to church? Saying, Lord, I'm coming to learn something today. Would you teach me something that I can take with me this week? That's receiving the word And it says they received it with all readiness. They came to church wanting to learn. They came to church wanting to hear from God. They came to church with an expectation that they were going to get something that they could take with them. They were eager. They were ready and waiting to learn something. I've said it many times. One of the most dangerous things that we can do, MacArthur said, is we come to church. pastor says, open the Bible. And we say, oh yeah, I've already heard that before. We kind of go on coast. Because we think we already know that subject, that theme, that section of verses. We've heard it a hundred times. And we go into coast mode. The reality is we need to receive the truth. And not only just receive it, but after you hear something, you should go home and look at your verses and boy, Pastor brought up this verse. I want to just go over that this week. I want to learn more about it. I want to see if what Pastor says is really in there. I would not take offense at that. Because God's word tells you to be a student of the word. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have a mandate from God to be a student of the word. Amen? So the question is are you teachable? Are you willing to receive the truth? Number three. We need to pray for the church that every good work would be accomplished. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 Therefore we also pray always, hear those words? Pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power. For every good work to be accomplished. You know, there are a lot of churches who do a lot of things and just... That's all it is—just stuff. You know, there are churches that their whole world revolves around their food pantry. They don't really preach the gospel, don't really have discipleship, don't really have you know Bible studies throughout the week. But we got a food pantry. That's that's what we're about. Bless God, pantries are needed. There are people that benefit from it. Wonderful. But our church is accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. There are churches that have. humanitarian efforts and they'll go into communities and and put roofs on houses and put new windows in houses and rebuild playgrounds and all those things are wonderful things. But the question is, are these the things things that God wants us to do? See, we can do a lot of things that are good to do. But the question is, are they the things that God wants us to do? There's a big difference there. So we need to pray that every good work would be accomplished that would fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith and with power. We want to do what God wants us to do in this church. I can't do everything. I can't. I've said it a hundred times and I'll say it again. If there was a five-acre plot right next door to us and some Bible-believing church wanted to plant a church right beside us, I'd help them build it. Right next door to us, Pastor? Yes, I would. I would go over there and I'd hope that you as men would go over there and help me help them. Well, why would I do that? Because every one of us are going to reach people that each of us can't reach. You're going to reach some people that I can't reach. I'm going to reach some people that you can't reach. He's going to reach some people that we can't reach. And as long as they're preaching the gospel, I'm going to help them build that building. It's not competition, folks. It's not about us four and no more. It's not about just our walls. It's about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the reality is we need to get involved with it. And do the things that God wants us to do. So that we can see the church of Jesus Christ go forward. We need to pray for that. Hey, it's quiet here today. there's another one. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you would maybe be filled with the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't that be a good thing for every one of us to know what God's will for our life is? So that we don't have to just wake up and say, well, I wonder what God wants me to do today. Hmm. Total my fingers and just you know, kind of just exist. No, we should be praying that we would fulfill God's will in our lives, that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That means we have to, once again, get in the Word, study God's Word, seek His face. God, how are you wanting to work in my life? What are the things in my life that you've gifted me? How have you, you know, gifted me to, you know, how have you given me skills and abilities to use for your glory? God, what does that look like to be in the center of your will? And by the way, there's certain things you don't need to pray about. You just need to obey Him. But we need to pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Number five, for you to be strengthened. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. That he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Over and over, God wants us to be strengthened. There's no shortcuts. If you want to be strong... Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to have strength to stay in the path that God has for us to walk on, if you want to overcome sin, get in the word. We need to pray for that. Over and over. Look at verse 17. It says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the width and length and depth and height? To know the love of Christ with his knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to be prayed that we be filled with the fullness of God as a church. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14. Let all you do be done in love. Question Are there going to be things that we do that you don't agree with? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves a question. Is it sinful? Is it a biblical offense, or is it just something I don't like? There are always going to be things that you don't like? It's not your preference. You wouldn't choose to do it that way. You would do it differently if you were, quote-unquote, in charge. But because it's your opinion, you're just mad about it. Talk about churches falling apart. I've got a friend right now who's going through a rough time. Church is upset with him. Over the last year, he's done things that they're just mad at. And I ask the question, is one of those things at all sin? Nope. Not one thing. But they're mad. And because they're mad... Rather than practicing Matthew 18 and going to the person and having a conversation, they chose to sow discord and disunity by talking with other people in the church about it rather than talking to the person that they're mad at. Once again, operating in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit will never amount to anything good. Shame on us if we do that. We can still operate in love even though there are times that we disagree. Several years ago, my first church, I'll tell you this story with this, I'll close. This is an example of working in love or doing all things in love. We had a fellow in our church whose relative passed away. Now, of all things that the argument started over was an organ. <laughs> my first church, the organ was kind of on its last leg. And there was kind of some talk that maybe we would try to get a new organ, maybe we want. Nobody else is learning to play it, so do we really want to invest in that? So ultimately they said, yeah, let's get a new one. But in that same time frame, someone in our church had a relative who passed away. Who decided that in the process they would give the church $10,000 to put towards a new organ. Now, here's what happened. The man whose relative died doesn't know the first thing about an organ. Doesn't know how to play it. Doesn't know what one brand versus another one is. Doesn't know the cons, the pros, anything. But because it was his relative, that equals I get to say which one we get. Now never mind the, church was writ- the check was written to the church, and the church would make a decision. But this man thought, because it's my relative, I get to choose. Well, then there was the actual organist. Who'd been playing for 30 years, who had worked at an organ shop and sold organs for a living, who knew everything about every type of organ. She was the only one who said, "Well, it's not my decision. Do what you want." But she was the only one that said, "We can get what we need for the ten thousand dollars almost. Why spend thirty-five on this one?" And then there was a third person whose daughter said that, "Well, I'd like to learn to play the piano." or I mean the organ, and as soon as she realized that she wanted to play the organ, dad went to bat and getting the organ that he wanted because heard that his daughter was going to be the next organist when this one stepped down. So we got three people vying to get their will in the organ that we purchase. And I'm telling you what, it took like a millisecond for people in the church to decide whose team they were on. Unbelievable. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. We're taking sides and fighting over $10,000 in an organ? Good Lord, I can think of a million other things to fight over, not that one. But operating in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit will always lead to more trouble. Let all that you do be done with love. I'm sitting there going, I'm a brand new pastor. I don't know the first thing about how to resolve this thing. I said, Lord, what do I do? I still didn't know what to do, so I called a meeting on Monday night. With the three individuals involved. I didn't know what I was going to do at the meeting. I just called the meeting. So I walked in Monday night. And I don't know how it came out. I don't know why it came out. It just came out. It came out with like full force blurt. And here's what I said. I don't know who you think you are. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you believe. You have no idea what an organ is. You have never played one. You don't know the first thing about them. And why do you think you get to pick which one of them got You're the only one making any sense. You know all about them, and you're not the one fighting about it. And you you want a $40,000 organ? Really? For something that's played for 40, 40 minutes a week? This is ridiculous. I'm telling you right now, as sure as I'm standing here, I will take that $10,000 check, I will rip it up in a million pieces, and no one's going to get an organ. So figure it out, and the next time I come in here, if it's not figured out, the check is gone. Am I clear? And I walked out. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Maybe. But 30 minutes later, they came out, and they gave me a call. The guy whose daughter wanted to be the next organist, he said, Pastor, you're right. I want this like $38,000 organ because it has a really nice wood finish. The insides are the same as that one for twelve. So we're paying thirty some thousand dollars for a finish. He goes, "Pastor, we don't need that one." I said, "Okay." Then the guy whose relative gave the money, and because of that, he should decide where the money goes. He says, "Pastor, uh, I tell you what. Let's get what 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 she wants because she's the one that plays it. She knows what she needs." She knows what the best bang for the buck is. She says that we can get one for $12,000. He goes, here's the check for ten dollars and I'll pay the $2,000 to bank the difference. They worked it out because they chose to let love rule. We love God more than we love ourselves. And when they came out, they hugged each other. They reaffirmed their love for one another. And the Holy Spirit worked. When we operate in the flesh rather than in the spirit, trouble comes. But when you submit to the spirit and walk in the spirit, God is glorified. Do all things in love. We need to pray that we as a church do all things. And every church does things out of the heart of love. Folks, I'm just telling you this morning, I need your prayer. Every pastor I know needs your prayers. This church needs you to be praying. Every church that I know of needs you to be praying. The question is, will you do it? I'm not talking about the 10 second prayer before you eat your meal. Lord bless this food, give us strength, amen. I'm talking about praying for the church. And praying for your pastor. There's a thousand other verses we could have put on both sides of this. But you get the gist. We need prayer. Our church needs prayer. Every pastor out there needs prayer. Every church out there needs prayer. I want to challenge you to pray. My question is, will you pray? Churches falling apart all around us. Pastors giving in to sin all around us. Churches failing all around us. Because they're choosing to operate in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Will you pray? Lord, I ask God that you work in our hearts. Work in all of our hearts. Lord, I know that every pastor who's called of God to, to be a pastor desires not only for his people to pray for him, but he also prays for his people. And Lord, I ask that that would be the case here. Lord, I'm praying for these people. Many of them name by name and name by name for circumstances that no one else knows but you and I know. Things that have been shared in private and we lift them to you daily. But God, I pray that they would be praying for me and every pastor they know as well and for their fellow church members that we would truly submit to the Spirit's leading, operate in the Spirit and not in the flesh all these things Lord we need prayer a ton of individual things but God generally speaking we need prayer that the Holy Spirit would be front and center as heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we do each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things we've heard the challenge this morning is very simple really will you pray pray for me as your pastor Pray for every pastor you know. Pray for this church and for every church that you know of. Will you pray? You say, Pastor, this morning I'll make that commitment. You can come on me before God. I will pray. Would you lift your hand? That's your commitment. Yes. All around. You have my commitment that I'm praying for you as well. And I just challenge you to start right here, this moment. Right here where you're at. Take a moment and pray. Pray for me. Pray for every pastor you know. Pray for this church. And every church that God brings to your mind. Let's just take a moment and pray. many of you may not know that there's a handful of people watching online this morning. I challenge you guys to pray for your pastor. Pray for your church. Pray for those in leadership positions that Satan would not get a victory. That Satan would not get a foothold in their lives and cause destruction. Pray. And see what God would do as we faithfully Pray for him to work in our midst. Let's all stand to our feet as we pose. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the things, Lord, that we give into. And how often we give into the things of the flesh rather than being filled with the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit. Lord, we need preachers to be strong, to be bold, to be courageous, to preach the whole counsel of God, to be filled with wisdom and discernment. Lord, we need churches that are going to walk in obedience. Lord, I pray for each one who raised their hand and heart towards you this morning, their commitment to pray. God, I pray that, you, Lord, they would not fail to remember daily and throughout the day, and oftentimes throughout many times of the day, to be praying for their pastors and for the churches, that we would hold true to the word of God, that you would be glorified in all things. Lord, may we take that commitment serious